Good morning. Thank you. I heart this church so much. Like, when I got invited back, it just not only meant I did a good job the first time, but there is something, I told my wife, I'm going to good news, going to good news. That's what we're called, right? And um, man, the diversity, this place is awesome. I just see it alive. I got a friend from Lincoln, Nebraska. I text him. I said, come to Omaha. Get the spirit. He's driving. He'll be in third service. I'm so excited he's going to get hit. It's going to be so cool. Um, if I lived in Omaha, I would go to this church. And I say that everywhere, okay? <laughs> I say that everywhere, but especially here. I would go here. I would. Anyway, um, Let's get started. January 14th, 1994, the largest earthquake to ever hit California hit in the last 100 years. Um, power went out all over. Uh, the epicenter was literally in Los Angeles, California. And um, as people went out to the streets after everybody lost power, they actually looked up and saw something and they called 911. 911 was inundated with calls, not for first responders, but for what's that in the sky, this giant silver gray thing. See, what had happened for the first time, people in Los Angeles had never seen something called the Milky Way. And they looked up and saw it. What's crazy is it had been there the entire time, right? But the world was trying to drown it out. The world was trying to drown it out. As I think about that story, I think, man, the mission of God is in front of us. It's from Genesis to the maps in the back. But guess what? The world is trying to drown it out. Our life, our desire for saving, safety, resume is trying to drown it out. We get busy, caught up. We get consumed and we forget the reason we're here. And I promise you this this morning. If you miss the mission of God, you miss how to live, how to give, and how to raise your kids. If you miss the mission of God, you miss how to live, how to give, and how to raise your kids. Now, the mission of God is going to begin on page one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. Two people on planet earth, Adam and Eve, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God says, fill the earth. I want worshipers of me all over the planet. Well, if you know anything about the Bible, Genesis chapter three, man sins. Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Every thought of man is evil. God floods the earth in chapters 7 and 8. One family steps off the ark in Genesis chapter 9, and it's a repeat of Genesis chapter 1. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. There it is again. There it is again. By the time you hit Genesis 11, God has said this three times. And you hit Genesis 11, and Genesis 11 verse 1 says, Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. This is so important to understand. No matter where you went on planet earth, there was only one language spoken, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar. They settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we mimic a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God said, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. Humanity says, no thanks. And so watch what happens. Verse, keep reading verse 7. The Lord comes down and he sees the city, he sees the tower, he sees their disobedience and he touches their tongues. And from one language comes 70. From one language comes 70. Today on planet Earth, there's 6,912 languages. 
This in Genesis 11 is where we get all the, all the different languages of the Bible come right here in Genesis 11. French, Mandarin, Spanish, rap. It all comes from right here in Genesis chapter 11. Now, if you had no knowledge of the Bible, if you had no knowledge of the Bible and you picked one up and began to read, you'd get to Genesis 11 and all of a sudden anxiety starts to crawl up your arm. Why? Because Genesis 11, there's a problem. How is God going to regather all of these scattered nations all over the earth? And all you have to do to find the answer to that question is turn the page to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, one man is commissioned by God. His name is Abram. We know him as Abraham. The, the, the mission of God begins in Genesis chapter 12. It says this, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curse you, I will curse. But here it is, Abraham, are you listening? The reason I am reaching down to you is not for you. It's so that all peoples on earth, those who I just scattered a chapter ago, I'm gonna regather. I'm gonna regather through you. All peoples on earth, we bless through you. I had been a believer for a decade before I realized the importance of Genesis 12. I'd never read Genesis 12. It was in the Old Testament. It's old, it's not for me. I had never read Genesis 12. I had been a Christ follower for 10 years. The leading scholar of all of Christians in all of Europe was asked this question. What's the most important passage in all the Bible? John Stott, who died a few years ago, said, Genesis 12. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. I'm like, wow. As I read Genesis chapter 12, I begin to call this the Abrahamic revolution. The Abrahamic revolution because... The mission of God begins in Genesis 12. Watch this, watch this. And it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus to the early church to us. But we find our mission in Genesis chapter 12. Matter of fact, look at what happens. Verse 4, Abraham left as the Lord told him. This is so important in Genesis that God will repeat it five times. He'll repeat it three times to Abraham. He'll repeat it once to Abraham's son, Isaac. And he'll repeat it a fifth time to Jacob's son, or to Isaac's son, Jacob. Genesis 26, Isaac, I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands. And through your offspring, here it is again, all peoples, all nations on earth will be blessed. Jacob, just like your father Isaac and your father's father Abraham, guess what? Your descendants will be like the, the, the dust of the earth. D Genesis 28. And you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Why? Genesis 12. God anchors every Old Testament story in Genesis 12. You're going to see for the rest of Scripture his desire to regather the nations scattered in Genesis 11 that began in Genesis 12. A buddy of mine went to K-State University, Manhattan, Kansas, far from here. And he didn't have much. He said, man, in, at Manhattan, Kansas, we had like one restaurant, Denny's. He's like, we didn't have much, you know, but it was a place. He said, man, I said, tell me, you graduated from K-State. Tell me a great story. He says, man, you know what? Some of my greatest memories were going to away football games. He says, man, one day five of my friends texted me and said, be out front in five. He said he threw a bag together. He went downstairs. He, he, they, they wheeled around the SUV. They drove 10 hours from Manhattan, Kansas to Dallas, Texas to watch their team play in an away football game. 
He said, Todd, when we got to the stadium in Dallas, Texas, my friends took out our bags, and unbeknownst to me, there were eight cans of purple wall paint. And he said, men, suit up. My friend Andrew said, you want us to paint our bodies purple? We could die of skin poisoning. But in that moment, we all knew it was worth it. He said, Todd, head to toe, we painted our bodies purple. Head to toe. He said, you know what word the six of us painted on our chest? I'm like, I have no idea. Hey, mom. He said, no. I said, hi, ESPN. He said, no. I said, what word did you paint on your, ch- on your chest? He said, family. I'm like, family? Why Family. He said, because at, at, at K-State, when you come in as a freshman, they say, you're not a student, you're a part of the family. The football stadium, he told me, the football stadium is called Family Stadium. He said, Todd, third quarter, minute left, something happened. I said, what? He said, we were down by 41. <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm banging on the bleachers, I'm yelling at the refs. He says, Man, he realized, he says, man, Todd, I realized I was, in desperate, I was in desperate need of exercise and our team was in desperate need of rest, but I couldn't get in the game because I'm painted in purple with an F on my chest wearing a kilt. <laughs> I said, Andrew, you have just succinctly summarized American Christianity. We're in the family, but we're not in the game. Oh, I'm a Christ follower. I don't celebrate Halloween. But man, when it comes to engaging God's mission to reach the nations, I mean, I'm busy. I have so much going on. I've got bills. I've got two kids. I've got a mortgage. I've got debt. I've got, I've got issues. I just, I don't have time. I know there's people at our church that are from Ghana that they do that. And that's great. But um, it's just, it's different for me. I'm, 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 no. And God invites us into his mission to see the nations worship him. And what happens? We say no thanks. And every story is tied to Genesis 12. I mean, think about Moses giving the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 4, I have taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Moses says, listen to them, observe them carefully. Why? The nations are watching you. The nations are watching you. Why did God raise up Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9? He says this, I've raised you up, Pharaoh, for this very purpose, that for the rest of the Old Testament, the nations would know I parted the Red Sea, that I might show my power to all the earth. I thought God was interested in just getting Israel out of Egypt. I had no idea he had bigger plans, that his reputation would go beforehand. What about wisdom? Why did God give Solomon wisdom beyond his years? He says this in 1 Kings 10. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Or what about this one? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come out of the fiery furnace. Why did God raise them up out of the fiery furnace? King Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter. Look at who he addresses the letter to. Peoples, nations. Men of every language who live in all the world. I mean, it's just incredible. Every Old Testament passage is inviting us in to see the nation's worship. And let me just make this crystal clear. I'm not saying to you, fly to North Africa, get the hep A shot, polio shot, yellow fever shot, malaria pills, raise $2,500 and move your kids out of their education program and find a job in Egypt. I'm inviting you to be at the Walmart and to look up and see the nations around you. You realize your kids play soccer with people who are lost from the unreached world. You realize in your doctor's office there are people who are lost 
from the unreached world. You realize you work in a cubicle next to people who are lost from the unreached world. You realize in your neighborhood there are people who are lost from the unreached world. But guess what? They will not initiate with you. No, 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 no. You have to reach out to them and let God's, let, let life's inter- interruptions be God's invitation. Let life's interruptions. I know you're busy. You're going places. You got to be at soccer by six. I understand that. Ballet by nine. But listen, let life's interruptions be God's invitation. The nations are here. Are you saying hello? Are you reaching out to them? We spoke at Kent State University, and um, there was about 400 college students. I finished my talk. I put the lapel mic down. I went out front to the four-year, and all of a sudden, I went to, to put my book on a table, and I was writing some notes, and, and all of a sudden, a dog started licking my shoe. And, you know, I'm in the four-year in the student union at Kent State University, and I'm like, why, why is there a dog you know, licking my shoe? And um, I look up, and there was a blind man student there named Billy, and that was his seeing eye dog. And Billy said to me words I'll never forget. He said, here am I, send me. And I'm like, Billy, you're good. Reach, reach the world around you. He's like, send me to the nations. And I'm like, Billy, you're good. And he's like, why? And I said, bro, you're blind. And he said, why do I need eyes to preach the gospel? And I just thought about that. How many of us make complete excuses on why we can't reach our near neighbor or pray for the world? It continues. Listen to this. Isaiah 49. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant. Restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. I'll make you a light for the nations that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 16, 19, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say our fathers possess nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Zephaniah 2, 11, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in their own land. Are you kidding me? Once you look up and see it, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. Malachi 1.11, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Why? Genesis 12. Genesis 12. I got asked to speak at the largest Christian university in all of Canada. I was so excited. 5,000 students. Did I tell you it's the largest Christian University in all of Canada. And uh, I, I was supposed to speak Tuesday morning at chapel, Wednesday morning at chapel, Thursday morning at chapel, and Beth Moore was closing Friday morning. And I was just like, this is going to be so fun. I fly in. It's in the same time zone, but I want to get acclimated. I fly in a day early. And um, I, I, I remember I go to campus that Tuesday morning. I meet with the campus minister. And I say to him, this place is amazing. He's like, well, we are the largest Christian. And I said, I know, this is incredible. I said, how many students? He said, well, we just topped 5,000. I said, where does the meeting even meet at? He's like, well, the only place that holds the whole campus is the basketball arena. So we're going to meet there this morning. And I was like, listen, numbers don't matter, but today they do. I said, about how many students will I be speaking to? And he said, oh, did I not tell you in the email, Missions Week is the only week we make chapel optional? So we're praying for 200. I show up and I speak to 185 students who are Christ's followers, and I challenge them to give five years of their life after they graduate to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world. 
I go down, I go down front after my talk. There's a line eight deep of Canadians. The first one, man, that was incredible. I can't go overseas right now. I have debt. The second one, what a great talk. I loved it. I can't go overseas. My parents would freak. The next one, oh, man, that was fabulous. Thank you so much. We never hear that. I can't go overseas. I'm getting a master's. The next one, wow, that was incredible. I can't go overseas. I'm not called. The next one, thank you so much. I would go overseas, but I'm engaged to be married. The next one, thank you so much. That was powerful. I can't go overseas. I just signed a two-year iPhone contract. One (laughs) after another. I spoke the next morning to 145 students. I spoke Thursday morning to 85 students. I then fly out from Canada. I didn't fly home. Instead, I was speaking at a a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I flew to Salt Lake City, Utah. I fly into the airport. I grab my rental. I type in where I'm going in Provo, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. I'm like, to where? To where does Temple Street lead? And I realized First and Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. So I'm like, oh, wow, I want to go. I want to get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. How sweet would that be? So I go to First and Temple, park my car, get out, get a selfie. I look over and to the left of the Mormon temple is a building about the size of this church, three stories tall, all glass. And etched in glass, it says, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I want to be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. I mean, what beautiful thing could that lead to? Angels getting their wings? Who knows? So I walk over to First and Temple. I open the door and I yell, good Mormon. Top of the Mormon to you. And 20 of the nicest, well-dressed, what I think is the most well-educated young adults come walking towards me. One girl, Rachel, peels aside and she begins to talk to me. I'm like, Rachel, how did you wind up here? She said, well, every Mormon has to give two years of their life to missions after they graduate. It's the greatest privilege we have. And I said, well, how do you know where you're stationed? And she said, well, the church sends a letter. It's the greatest thing you ever receive in your life. I said, what's the letter say? She said, oh, I always have it on me. She pulled it out from her purse. I held the letter. I read the letter. I then drive 45 minutes south to Provo, Utah. I was scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University. Provo, Utah is where Brigham Young University is. It's the largest Mormon university in the world. I was scheduled to speak to a handful of Christ followers on the campus trying to start a ministry. I get about a mile off a campus in Provo, Utah, and I look over and I see this building. And the name on the building, the sign on the building is what caught my eye. The, 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 the store, the name of the store was called the Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go to the Missionary Mall. What could you possibly buy at the Missionary Mall? I walk in, I notice the Missionary Mall is where the parents of the missionary kids go to buy their kids everything they need for their missionary trip. Everything a Mormon missionary needs for their two-year mission, they buy at the missionary mall. The suit, the tie, the bike helmet, it all comes from the missionary mall. And all I'm doing is looking around at the faces of the fathers and the mothers, the grandfathers and the grandmothers, and there is nothing but sheer joy, excitement, no price too high. This is the greatest day of our life to see our son or daughter sent out to China to be a missionary. 
I got in my car, opened my journal, and I wrote, Mormons give two years. Christians give excuses. Ninety-nine percent of all Christian parents, when their son or daughter comes to them wanting to be missionaries, try to talk them out of it. Ninety-nine percent. That's our recent stat in our surveys. Let me say that again. 99% of all Christian parents will spend six months trying to talk their son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter out of joining the mission of God. Are you sure you want to do that? Why would you do that? This doesn't make sense. You didn't even get a degree in that. We paid for your college and now you're going to waste it? You have expectations that you haven't even met yet. We rely on you. You're a key part of this family. You can't go overseas. Not now. No. You don't even like to travel. We've tried to go places with you and you've said no. I don't understand. You don't even wear Toms. How are you even This isn't even like you. Have you told your dad? Do not tell your dad. I'm handling this okay, but your dad is going to freak. If you tell your dad, I promise you, it is not going to be good. Have you, have you even put your resume out there? I think you can get a job here. I don't know why you just say you got to go to North Africa. To me, this doesn't make sense. Are you called? Have you had a clear call? You know, you would think if God called you, he would call us first, and we haven't heard anything. Okay, we have not heard anything. And I just, I want to let you know, and I'm just, I hate to say this, but I got to say it. I feel like God wants me to say this, okay? I feel like God wants me to say this, and I'm going to say it. This is going to be harsh. It's going to come across harsh. I'm sorry. But, you, you know, it's, it's hard over there. You need to know this. If you get on that plane, you're, you're going to die single. I said it. I know. That means I don't have grandchildren, and this is going to cause chaos, okay? All I've wanted is, have I done something to wrong you? Like, what have I done? I don't understand. I do not understand. And, and, and where are you going to get the money? I hope you're not going to, you know, I can't afford it. You're, we can't afford it. No. Have you told your sister? You better not. Do not tell your sister. If you have any doubt, you shouldn't go. Is there any doubt in you? Is there any, a tiny bit? I know you're saying you're not. There's not, but I just, I see you twitching your lip. And you know you do that when you lie. I see you twitching. Is there any doubt? I'm going to ask you again, because if there's any doubt, you need to live in our basement and work at Starbucks, because you should not doubt. This is too serious. Do you doubt? And guess who does that? Everybody you know. Everybody you know. It's interesting, isn't it? God blesses us with stuff and then we think it's for us. God blesses us with affluence, children, home, education, personality. Even the ability to speak English can get you anywhere in the world. But yet, what do we do? We think it's for us. When you transition to the New Testament, what you see is nothing different. When you transition to the New Testament, Jesus continues with the mission of God. He continues with it in Matthew 28. This is a, what's called the Great Commission. Now, I used to think there was only one Great Commission passage. I had no idea there was five. 
And like a diamond, you turn it, and each, each command and commissioning is a little different. Listen to the first commissioning as I hold it up. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always. But I love the first part of this, all authority. All authority. He is in control. He has all authority. Go and make disciples. To who? Of all nations. If you turn it, the next, the next great commission passage is found in Mark 16, 15. Go and preach. Okay, I'm supposed to preach the good news to who? All nations know all creation. This thing's so good, bark, shrubs, and trees should know about it. <laughs> this thing transforms everything. The third great commission text, let's look, at, look at this angle, look at this angle, look at it from this angle. It is written, Luke 24, it is written. Genesis chapter 12, remember this, it is written. This is not something new. Christ, he says, that's who I am, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He says, that's what I did. Repentance, that's how you should respond. Forgiveness of sins, that's what happens if you respond appropriately. Should be preached to all nations, that's the scope. Look at the fourth one. The fourth one, look at this angle. Look at the fourth one, John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, Jesus says. He says, I was in community, trinity, eternity when the Father invited me to put on humanity. And I responded. I went to a people not my own, uncomfortable, a native land. And as I did that, now I'm sending you. Look at the fifth one. Look at the fifth one. Where are we to go? To where? Well, first of all, it's not in your power. It's in the Spirit's power. The power will come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And again, I ask the question, why? Why five commissionings? And I think it's because Jesus knows our temptation. First of all, we don't see it. And then second of all, the world drowns it out. The world drowns it out. After these five commissionings, Paul the Apostle says this in Romans 15. It has always been my ambition. And I'm like, wow. I cannot say this. Paul says, as long as I remember, salvation is tied to obligation. Salvation is tied to obligation. Grace came to us because it's on its way to others. Paul says, as long as I can remember, it's always been my ambition. I have a friend of mine. His name's Brooks Buser. He uh, is a missionary in Papua New Guinea to the Yembe Yembe people. He's been working. Papua New Guinea is just north of Australia. He's been working with the Yembe Yembe. His desire is to translate the New Testament into the Yembe Yembe. It's an 11-year process. He said year five, his tribe kept getting letters 100 kilometers away from another tribe named the Gatanambu. And the Gatanambu were saying, hey, Yembi Yembi, where's our missionary? We want a missionary now to give us God's talk. And my friend Brooks kept getting these letters from the Gatanambu. We want a missionary now to give us God's talk. And he was like, man, I, there's no missionary in the pipeline. There's no missionary in America coming to Gatanambu. There's no one praying for the Gatanambu. There's no way they're going to get a missionary. They kept getting the letters. My friend Brooks said, year five in translation, he knew he had to do a survey trip to the Gatanambu just to see if he could get news to America that they need a missionary. He said he took the village chief from a Yembe Yembe. He took the village chief because the village chief had white hair and he had respect they did an arduous journey, 100 kilometers. They got close to the Gatanambu people. And as they approached the tribe, they hear this. Boom, 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 boom. And the Yembe Yembe chief elder who came with Brooks said, Brooks, do you know what that, th those drums are for? And he said, no. 
He said, they think you're the missionary. They're celebrating. He says, but I'm not. He says, I know. And we got to make that crystal clear. He says they got into the tribe. The tribal chief of the Gatanambu brought them into his hut. He said, all outside, there, the whole village gathered around the hut. Brooks said he set him, the, the, the Gatanambu tribal leader set him between his two wives, white hair, no teeth. And the tribal leader said, We know you're not our missionary. We know that. But how long until we get a missionary? And Brooks, looking up between the two wives, so long, so long. And the tribal leader of the Gatanambu, how many moons? How many moons until we get a missionary? And Brooks said, so many moons. So many moons. And the Gatanambu tribal leader said, I want to know exactly how many moons. And at that time, the Yambi Yambi leader tapped Brooks on the leg and said, let me answer. The Yambi Yambi leader got up and he said, look around. When everyone in this village with white hair dies, then your missionary will come. For that's what happened with our tribe, and that's what will happen with yours. It's been seven years since that story. There's still no missionary for the Gatanambu. As we sit and say, sorry, Lord, not me, not my kids, not now, not my funding. See, understanding the mission of God, it changes the way you live and the way you give. And it changes the way you raise your kids. We tell our kids every morning, if God has you be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. If God has you be a missionary, don't you dare stoop to be a king. We're trying to change their perspective. The world is waiting for you. Genesis chapter 12, the mission of God begins... It moves all throughout Scripture, and it concludes in Revelation 5.9. Revelation 5.9. And they sang a song, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. What began in Genesis 12 is completed at the throne of God. The only question is, are we on board? Are we saying yes to let God's invitation. Are we saying yes to that? Let life's interruptions be God's invitations. Again, you can't go to Wednesday without seeing the nations among us. How are you going to do how are you going to respond? Unfortunately, the world does not look like this. Here's a map of the least reached peoples in the world. It's called the 1040 window. It's 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up and it stretches across Asia. In this box is 65 countries. Every major religion began here. And 88% of those who've never heard of Jesus live inside this box. This should affect how we pray, how we give, how we go, how we mobilize, and how we welcome. And I promise you, there are people from this box who you work with, who your kids play soccer with, and who you are in the doctor's office with. But you have to initiate 
you have to initiate. We have five kids. My wife wanted a sixth. I'm like, why? She said, every basketball team needs a sub. And you know, that's true. That's true. So uh, we decided that we were going to adopt for our sixth child. We were going to adopt from China. And uh, we brought him home last year about this time. And it has been nothing but chaos. There's a special place in heaven for me. I don't know about you, but there is for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I believe that because <laughs> this is huge. And um, uh, we, uh, before we adopted and brought him home, we decided, hey, let's take a vacation because, you know, when you bring a kid home from, from adoption, it's just chaos, as you know, if you've adopted or you know someone who's adopted. And so we're a homeschool family from Arkansas, and we thought, where do homeschool families go to take vacations? And we realized, let's go to the Ark. They found it. It's in Kentucky. And... Um, <laughs> They were way off looking at Sinai. It's in Cincinnati. Come on, man. And uh, so we, you know, take the 13-hour trip to Kentucky, and uh, uh, we pull in. The whole way there, we're reading the Genesis story. We told our kids it took them about 30 years to excavate it out of the ground to get it to where it was. Uh, and so they were excited. I mean, when faith hits fact, there's just something that happens, you know. And so our kids, when we saw it, they were just so excited. They're like, there it is, Dad. And I was like, oh, my goodness, it looks so new. And um, uh, we went on the ark. I got a chance to go on the ark. And there's an elevator. I was way off. My kids were like, Dad, why is there a gift shop if it was only Noah and eight people? I mean, who's visiting? It's raining, you know? And um, I was like, you know, son, that's good. these are questions only God. I said, when you get to heaven, you just need to say, why a gift shop on the ark? And he's going to say, oh, for this purpose. And you're going to be like, wow, my faith, you know. <laughs> and um, we decided we stayed at a hotel near the ark. And we, uh, you know, my wife was upstairs with the uh, kids. I went downstairs to have breakfast. And here I am downstairs having breakfast. And if you ever know anybody who's adopted or if you've adopted, that's all you talk about for the 15 months. I mean, it's just like, oh, you want to talk about adoption? Okay. And so the waitress is pouring my coffee and she starts a conversation with me. And I told her, oh, we're leaving here and we're going to China. And my, the, the waitress, uh, you know, she, she uh, as she's refilling my coffee, she, uh, she asked me a question that startled me. She asked me a question that I was like, What? She asked me a question that confused me, and I didn't even know how to answer. She leaned in, and as she's refilling my coffee, she says to me, does he know you're coming for him? I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, your son in China, does he know you're coming for him? Ma'am, he has no idea. He has no idea I've spent $34,000. He has no idea I've spent 15 months in background checks, FBI checks, tax returns. He has no idea that he has five siblings desperately ready to love him. He has no idea that he has, in 21 days, going to be stamped a new citizen of this great country and be afforded every right and privilege this great country allows. He has no idea he has a father. But I'm coming for him. 
I'm coming for them. And I stand here this morning and I tell you, we talk about the second coming, but half the world's never heard of the first. And through our involvement, both near and abroad, we can say to the nations, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. And so, Father, let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you for your mission, that you are good, that we want to join it. And Lord, we just pray that you would just give us eyes to see this week of the nations who are just around us, Lord. Give us the encouragement get to step out and say hello. Invite them here. Get them plugged in, Lord. I just pray that we would see the nations reached both, both near and afar. We ask this in your name. Amen. If you guys would, would you stand, please? You know, after a message like that, a man who's given his heart and his life uh, to mission, and you hear it, it's part of who he is. And I can't help but feel a little convicted. You know, I'd, sometimes I feel like a professional Christian. This is just what we do. But there's a time when I feel like we can... Um, we can give part of ourselves to the mission of the gospel and we're divided on the, all the other things that we want to do. And my question to you this morning is, are you all in? As a Christian, are, are you really all in? And this is not a condemnation. This is actually an invitation of God going, come on, give me your fears, give me your dreams, but engage me in what I want to do in the world. Because it doesn't, doesn't mean that you put everything that you are aside. It means that God takes who you are and he utilizes it to the world around you. You know, if I won't be honest, I'm going to be really honest with you. I didn't do this in the first service. But there are two complaints I get the most about in this church. One is about how much time we give to missions. And the second is how much time we give to prayer. Think about that for a second. Two things that are the thread that runs through the whole of the Bible are what I get the most complaints about. And this is the essence of why we're here. is to take the gospel to people who desperately need it and to engage our God through relationship and to see the world transform because we're partnering with him to take what he's done through Jesus to the world around us. And so today, today, I want you to ask yourself a question. God, teach me to be all in. Where I am, he may call you somewhere, but he may call you just to be engaged where you are, to actually look up at the world around you, to share what you know about Jesus with the people around you, a different people group around you, but to actually engage the people around you with the love of Christ that you've received and now we need to give away. Let me pray for you, Father. We're so grateful for your son. The God, you loved us. You made a promise thousands of years ago and we're part of that story. And one day that story, God, is gonna come to an end around your throne every person who has come to the saving knowledge of Jesus will be there with you. We'll be there as well. God, 
Speak to us, speak through us, give us eyes to see, God, a boldness to share, and a heart, God, that is committed to say, whatever you desire, God, I'll give you. Pray that you would bless this body in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer workers to come forward. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Go out and visit Todd at the table. God bless you guys.